0: Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move! Shoots! Scores! Hey, welcome to another edition of The Outsiders. Two guys that used to be on the inside are now on the outside. And we're having a lot of fun with this podcast. We've done so many now, I've completely... Do you know what number podcast this is today?
1: I think we're doing number seven.
0: Wow, you're good. I just... uh, To me, it's just like another one, another one, another one. And it's been fun. Today's a special one, though, because joining us will be Ray Ferraro, who I believe is the best color commentator when it comes to the sport of ice hockey. He's pretty fantastic.
1: He's what he is because he tells you exactly what he thinks, virtually unfiltered. That's what makes Ray so good.
0: Yeah, he's not uh, not the kind of guy that's going to candy coat anything. <laughs> the other thing, too, that you will find interesting is you're going to learn a little more about Ray. Yes. Ray obviously is from a hockey family, and his lovely wife, Cami Granado has just been hired by the new Seattle franchise, the expansion franchise in the National Hockey League. She's going to be scouting... This is a big year for Seattle because they're going to start looking at other teams to see who is of interest because we'll have an expansion draft coming up. But we'll get to that. We'll talk to Ray about all sorts of other things that he's doing. And we'll talk a little bit about the preseason and the fact that we're moving into the start of another National Hockey League season. Are you excited about this season? Or are you excited about every
1: season? Well, absolutely, I'm excited enough with uh, watching games that are a third to a half full of players we're not ever going to see or two or three years away. Let's get down to it with uh, two points on the line. This is Edmonton, who is not jacked for the start of a hockey season.
0: (laughs) And I'm one of these kind of guys, I don't like preseason anything generally. However, this year I've been kind of curious to see how things are going to shake down. I did watch on the past Saturday a preseason tilt between the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames. It was kind of a meh game. The only thing that made it remotely interesting to the point where I'd want to talk about it is the fact that you have Tobias Reeder, who could not buy a goal last year with the Edmonton Oilers, and then he jumps to the Calgary Flames, scored two in that game (laughs) against uh, Koskinen. And then you, of course, have the Milan Lucic situation where he went from Edmonton to Calgary, and he gets one in that hockey game. So, of course, everybody in Calgary is pumped about it. But I just I thought that that was kind of an interesting little twist. The only thing that would have been, would have been really the exclamation mark on a matchup like that would have been had Calgary put Cam Talbot in for the third period and he gave up a couple of softies and the Oilers came back to tie it up and win or whatever. But Calgary wasn't going to do that because David Riddick has been playing great and was sensational in that game. They look ready to go. Oilers are pretty much ready to go. A uh, couple of notable notes, uh, Sam Gagne was placed on waivers just before we came on the show today, and Brandon Manning also placed on waivers, so we'll
1: see where things go with that. Are you a little surprised by that? Well, I'm surprised by Gagne. I didn't think he uh, stood out in preseason, but he does have history with Dave Tippett, and he's more of a proven player than some of the guys they brought in, so marginally surprised. I'm um, not surprised about Manning. Uh, I don't know that he's a National Hockey League defenseman right now, and his uh, ticket is uh, too high for what he brings.
0: We were going to talk with Mike McIntyre this week about what's going on with the Winnipeg Jets, but man, oh man, this has been dragging out. However, they finally got their shit together, and Patrick Liney signed a two-year $13.5 million deal. The average hit on that for the cap is $6.75 million. And then Kyle Connor also signs a deal. How about this one? Seven-year deal for Kyle. $50 bucks, And the average hit is $7.14 million. A little surprised by either of those ones?
1: Not really surprised. I think Liney's is a terrific young player. If he gets back on track, he's certainly going to be worth the dough he got. He's betting on himself a little bit with this deal. Uh, You know what, though? Uh, These signings clear up uh, some issues for the Jets, but that one issue that hangs out there, and and I mentioned it before, I don't think the Jets are winning anything without uh, Dustin Bufflin in their lineup. I I see uh, that defense now with uh, Bufflin out and uh, Myers gone as suspect. We'll see, but at least they got some housekeeping done.
0: And Mike was uh, unavailable for us to talk to him today because obviously there's so much stuff going on there in Winnipeg this week. We'll track him down Mm -hmm. as things kind of progress a little bit. Let's quickly shift over to the Canadian Football League. So I'm watching a football game on Saturday afternoon from Ottawa. Man, that was a horrible football game to
1: watch. Did that stink like an outhouse in August or what? The Red
0: Blacks and the Eskimos was just Awful to watch. But as I'm sitting there watching this, I'm thinking to myself, is Jason Moss's job on the line here? If they do not win this game over Ottawa, are the wolves going to be at the door? I, I I still think the wolves are at the door anyway through the rest of the season. However, that might have been just too much for Eskimo Empire to uh, to basically absorb. Had they lost that game to Ottawa, as
1: it is now, they still have a pretty good shot at the crossover.
0: But some teams are starting to pick it up a little bit, Robin.
1: Well, they're not going to get rid of Jason Moss midseason with that coaching cap they've got in place. I think, I mean, they're the crossover team. That's what's going to happen. Um, I think Jason might be in trouble uh, anything short of uh, at least making it to the final to come out to play for the Grey Cup. Crossover teams don't make it from the West. don't make it to the Grey Cup. It hasn't ha- happened since 96. So uh, you know, could the Eskimos do it? I don't think so. I think the expectations are, I wouldn't say unreasonably high, but high enough uh, that uh, Jason Moss has to do a lot more than get this team. Uh, into a playoff spot because literally they're there right now unless something really bizarre happens. So I think he needs a playoff win or two to stick around.
0: On our last podcast, we chatted with Ricky Ray, who's going to be a Canadian Football Hall of Famer, no doubt about that, first ballot for sure. Uh, Thank you for all your positive comments on the interview with Ricky. Really enjoyed it. It was just so much fun to talk to him, and apparently uh, that resonated with you. You're more than welcome to drop us a line at any time. All you have to do is uh, send us an email, and it is MightyMouth at Shaw.ca, and uh, we love the feedback, and we've been getting a fair bit of it, so we appreciate that as well. Oh, by the way, the halftime show at the Grey Cup game will be Keith Urban, who is an unbelievable talent, puts on one hell of a show, but for some people, once again... A big issue is the fact that it's not Canadian content. Come on, this is the Canadian Football League. Don't you think at some point you just go for the big entertainer? It's got to be better for TV ratings. And then you look at who's going to be performing the halftime show at the Super Bowl, and it's J-Lo and Shakira. Well, I would watch that. However, I think actually Keith Urban is the better halftime show than the Super Bowl one this year. <laughs> Might not be as much dancing and, you know, that kind of stuff, but... For the people who like to bitch and whine about that kind of thing, I was fascinated by it.
1: I saw a fair amount of, isn't a Canadian man, the content? I know. Man, the... People, check yourself, man. Keith Urban, this is a first-rate five-star performer. Do we want to dig up uh, another 30-year-old, 25-year-old Canadian act just because of their birth certificate? I don't think so. Is there somebody new out there that's Canadian that would be a good get if you, could, if you could pull it off? I think that's probably the case, but it's about schedules. It's about timing. Keith Urban puts on a hell of a show. Uh, I'd much rather have a first-rate guy, no matter what country he's from, than uh, a tired old act where half the people out there are thinking, gee, my dad used to like these guys. Ouch. The other thing, too, is that that game's not sold out yet.
0: So what you're trying to do if you're the Canadian Football League and the committee in Calgary is you're trying to sell some tickets to get people to come to the game. Keith Urban isn't going to hurt you there. And from a television perspective, Keith Urban is not going to hurt you there. Also, from a female perspective, which is something the National Football League looks at all the time, they're trying to have a female audience tune in that halftime show. Guys are just going to probably sit there in a beer and watch it and maybe complain and... It's, uh, it's always kind of fun stuff to watch. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. And uh, very quickly, before we go too much further, just want to send out a tip of the cap and a congratulations to the Canadian team for winning at the World Indoor Lacrosse Championship, which happened this past weekend in Langley. It's nice to see that we've got some great Canadian talent playing lacrosse in this country in the, in the National Lacrosse League, so uh, I think we proved it again this weekend.
1: You know, that's terrific. As somebody who sacrificed many years of his youth and many of his teeth into the game of box lacrosse, <laughs> I can appreciate a championship at any level. I never got close to winning anything. But, yeah, good for them. Um, you know what? Spread the game. I mean, it, we always came up with it. You know, this is really Canada's national game. I
0: think. One of the two.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't get nearly the uh, coverage it should because uh, I think it's a terrific game speed toughness a lot of the aspects that make hockey so attractive to so many people I don't know that they ever get it over the top in terms of exposure or marketing where it fills big arenas but uh, it's a hell of a game if you've ever been to one you'll go back so yeah good for uh good for the Canucks and hey by the way this is unscripted literally 30 seconds ago okay I've Just become followed on Twitter by Bobby Curtola. Who has passed away. Yes, this is his account. Yes, it is. This is so cool. My mother loved Bobby Curtola. Hey, I just said what I was talking about with Canadian talent, (laughs) right? Yes. Tweets by, oh, it's by Chris Curtola and Bobby Curtola fan club. Well, you know what? Thank you. Appreciate it. Chris is a good guy. And, yes,
0: he uh, is. Yeah, so I uh, appreciate that. And also, uh, Bobby is going into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. As he should. A- absolutely. Was uh, was dynamite back in the 60s. Okay, coming up next, we're going to be chatting with Ray Ferraro. We want, you know, Ray Ray's a great talker, so I'm not exactly sure how, how long this is going to go, but I don't really care. I want to try to find out a little more about Ray and have some fun with Ray, so keep it right here. Ray Ferraro coming up next. So a couple of weeks ago, we're chatting with a friend of ours, and he's all excited about this this new podcast, which he was calling Dregs and Ray. And uh, so we thought he was the star of the show. Well, they put their first episode out, which is called Episode Zero, or a teaser in the business. And we've come to realize it wasn't Dregs and Ray. It was Ray and Dregs. And so we needed to right the wrong and to get the actual star of the podcast on. And Ray Ferraro joins us today. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. This sounds so much like Drager, And uh, I'll tell you, honestly, guys, the the one thing, well, of the things I hope people understand when they listen to the podcast and stuff is um, Drakes comes across, you know, serious insider and, you know, he's breaking stories and that, you know, the job that they do. And I don't think people have any idea what he's really like. Like he is, he loves to – loves to stir the pot. He knew that by telling you that, that it was going to get back to me, and he's just trying to put a pebble in my shoe. We haven't even started yet.
0: Well, I did listen to that first episode. I loved it. It was great. He did indicate that you're not the greatest traveler. And then this weekend, he even told me that for a guy who crosses the U.S.-Canada border a ton, you let your Nexus card expire. Is that true?
2: I did. It is, for those that travel, (laughs) the Nexus card Next to one of your children is about the most important thing you could have. And so I was thinking of offering, I've got four boys. I was thinking of offering one of them up to get my Nexus card back. I mean, I got three other ones, right? And then, however, out of the blue, I end up with um, my, because this lapsed in May. And so I was just lucky it was a part of the year. I don't travel very much. And uh, I just got my renewed card. And so, as they say, I'm back in the game. I'm I'm feeling much better about my travel, which starts Thursday with uh, my first NHL game.
0: Ray, when you take a look at your career and now this career as a broadcaster and now you're doing podcasting, are you kind of amazed at how this is all kind of shaken out?
2: You know, the, it's, it's really interesting uh, to me. In a in a time where you know there's great divisiveness and you know that we see every day in the country and uh, certainly in the United States, and what I have noticed is that more people are aware of what they should be grateful for or thankful for. And I, and the reason I bring that up is because I I'm not even kidding in in the least now. I never was going to do anything else but be a hockey player. In grade one, um, my mom kept the scrapbook for our, me and my three brothers. And it was, you know, your class picture and what you were going to be when you grew up. And, you know, your best friend and your school. And, and so I've written in there in six-year-old pencilship, uh, <laughs> NHL player. And so I never wanted to do anything else. I didn't even really know that i was supposed to think about maybe i wasn't going to make it and you know so just to be lucky enough and and then to have the ball roll the way it did that i got to play so long that's one thing but then to get this like out of nowhere i get traded to la and i get a call from espn and they're like do you want to do some broadcasting i'm like well i've never done it and the, the the guy that was in charge, Barry Sachs, who really I owe a lot of my career to, uh, who was the head of program or uh, talent at ESPN too, he said we think we can do this. So while I was playing, I started into broadcasting, and I'm I'm I've been around the NHL now since 1984, December of '84, and um, man, I just incredibly lucky guys. Like it's it's hard work, and I love the work, and you know I dedicated. Everything that I did, maybe to the detriment of some other things uh, to play um, and to be in the NHL, it was everything to me. And then to get this uh, opportunity and to make, you know, to make what's happened out of it. Um, you know, I started doing the Oilers games, as you guys know, and then, you know, TSN brought me on board. It, it's now unbelievably good at starting on my 11th year at TSN. And, um, man, it's just been. It's been awesome. I just
1: love it. Well, Ray, I I wouldn't put as much of it down to luck as you seem to. Um, I walked in the dressing room uh, on the other side of the notepad when you were still playing, and I actually remember a conversation I had with you. I don't expect you would, but you were very intense. uh, You were very honest, and I got a great quote out of the deal, but it wasn't easy to do because... Players aren't happy when they lose, and and that makes all the sense in the world. You've gone from one side of the notepad or the camera to the other. Has there been at any point for you an eye-opener about, hey, this is a lot tougher than I thought it might be?
2: Oh, right. Well, it didn't take very long, Robin, right when I started. Um, you know, I I retired in May of o2 and when Craig Simpson left – the Oilers broadcasting crew to uh, get into coaching I got a call asking if I wanted to audition Now I literally just retired three months earlier mm-hmm. and so I met Kevin Quinn at the airport and we flew to Vancouver or from Vancouver to uh, Edmonton I didn't know Kevin he was just starting as well with the Oilers and they had a couple other people in there auditioning and I got the job. So I just thought like, well, okay, I got the job. You just, you know, I know how to talk. I talk a lot and I've just finished playing it. You know, I'll just start. And I had no idea that, you know, like you, there's somebody talking to you in your ear as you're talking on the air. I mean, you can imagine how disconcerting that is. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, the, the the way I describe it to people is that, while I'm talking about Monday, my producer is in my ear telling me about Tuesday.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I tell.
2: So I, I got to keep talking about Monday, but I'm listening to Tuesday. Plus I'm also listening to what the play by play guy says in case he asks me a question. (laughs) And so what I found is I didn't know how to prepare. I didn't know what to prepare for. And there was quite a learning curve. Um, quite a, quite a significant learning curve for me. And, you know, I listen to my first year games sometimes and I'm like, that's like a car crash, but (laughs)
1: you
2: know, but I guess it turned out okay.
1: Well, I tell you, I, I remember, uh, meeting you and, uh, Kevin at Cops Coliseum during the lockout year. You were relatively new, uh, Into the bri, I mean, you 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 knew your way around by then, but still relatively new. I think I was moaning about how bad travel in the AHL was. Of course, uh, the lockout was on. But what struck me back then, Ray, uh, and strikes me now is the edge you bring to the table. That is, that's not something made up. I'm thinking back, like to Edmonton, of the. I think you probably recall the Patrick Steffen. Um, oh yeah <laughs> play and i loved it because Labardius had the great call and then you went off afterwards um from where you sit, is it just about being you because to me what we hear from you isn't shtick and i can spot that a mile away
2: i don't i don't ever think about how i should present this in an entertainment form mm-hmm I mean, I've refined how I get some things out. You know, I try to be a. am li- always struggling to be a little more brief during the game. You know, I don't want to get burned talking when somebody shoots a puck from a crazy angle and goes in the net. You know, I don't want to be doing that. But I've... I've Since I was a little kid, I've always been, I guess, rather outspoken. Mm-hmm. And what I've, what I don't really talk about a lot was one of the reasons I was outspoken was I was really insecure. And so I found the way that I could sort of stake my claim and sort of mask my insecurity was by being louder or more opinionated. And then all of a sudden, I never even realized it, and that was just the way I was. And so it became, when I started to broadcast, I as I said about the learning curve, what I did conscience consciously figure out for me is that i know that the game is incredibly hard because i just finished playing it Mm -hmm. and i know that there are things that happen in the game that make no sense to anybody else but if you're out there playing you know that the puck spun and hit your stick and you missed an open net nobody can see it spin but i know that happened um I know you can lose your edge because, well, sometimes you just lose your edge. And I also know that sometimes you can make the best intention play and it turns out to be 180 degrees. It's a terrible play. So I keep that in mind. The second thing that I marry that with is that I'm going to be as honest and fair as I can be. Like there there are some guys that I've met and, you know, I used to play against that I didn't like, but that can't color how I broadcast about them. Right, so nothing to do with it. I don't care who wins or loses. I can't stress this enough to people that, that listen. And I, you know, I can, I can talk about myself. If the Oilers win 10 in a row or lose 10 in a row, it does not matter to me one bit. I feel bad for the guys. Cause that would suck mm-hmm. to lose 10 in a row, but, if they win the Stanley Cup, they're not going to say, "Hey, Ray's a really good broadcaster. We should give him a Stanley Cup ring." They don't care. <laughs> I've got to do my job as true to the honesty and fairness that I think the job demands. That's—I don't want to ever be known as somebody that um, that could that that was pulling his punches a bit. That was. Um, soft on one team and hard on another. I try to drive it right down the middle of the ice. And the one thing I will say about Patrick uh, and that open net, <laughs> this is maybe I had too much internal knowledge on that play. <laughs>
1: <Right. Okay.
0: laughs> because
2: I, I played with Patrick, right? He was an 18-year-old kid when he came in. The greatest critique of Patrick Seffen was that for all his talent, he wasn't really hard when he played. And that play struck me as the most soft plays. Like, you're in the NHL, you're 20 feet out, shoot it in the net. What the hell do you have to go in there and just touch it into the net? And it bounced over a stick, and then the circus that went on beyond that. Like, honestly, guys, if you think – and Peter's call is awesome.
0: Oh, spectacular.
2: Because once Patrick fell in the corner, if the puck would have gone anywhere else, the play would have been over but it came right to him. So he tried to save the play and then he passed it right to Hemsky.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: You, you know, you're, you're like, like, how did that even happen? And then Whoa, wait a minute. Now the puck's up there. Whoa, wait, it's in here. <laughs> like it couldn't, you couldn't script that play to be better for Edmonton and worse for, for Dallas and, and Stefan. Um, but so for me, I, I knew him and I'm like, Jeez, Patrick, shoot it in a damn net. I was so mad.
1: You sounded then, indignant.
2: I was mean, like, what the hell? Shoot it in the net. It's wide open. And then when you think about it, if he shot it in the net, it would have been really boring. This was way better.
0: Yeah. The The other thing, too, and, and we were listening to it just before we, we got to you today. Because we talked to Peter a couple of weeks ago about it, and it's a real highlight for him. He says he still gets goosebumps. But it you're right when you talk about it being a circus, and we only see one ring of the circus on television. But Peter had a great call. There was a wonderful stoppage where nobody said anything and the crowd noise was there, and then you jumped in. It was it was it couldn't be a, a more perfect scenario. But man, everybody was just so real and raw. It was it was it was really a magical moment and it was just crazy.
2: The there are crazy plays that happen, you know, like when you're broadcasting, but, you know, and you're trying to describe everything that's going on. I also did that, uh, the one game where there was the brawl, and I think Mike Bishai was in the bench fighting somebody on the ice. Yep. yep. Right? Like, how are you trying to, de- that was a game, it was Atlanta, I think. And I'm like, how are you trying to describe that and keep your thoughts going? going all at once, like there's certain things that just happen and you're like, you're out on a, the thinnest of wires and you're doing the best you can with it. And sometimes it just works that day really worked. And, you know, I've had some, some games, I think that I would consider real highlights of my broadcasting career. One of them was a Canada Russia world junior gold medal game. And it was amazing it uh, Canada won 6-5 and it was one of the one of the best games that I've ever seen or done I also did uh along with Gord Miller um well Gordon and I did that junior game of course but um we also did uh, last spring's playoff we did the San Jose Vegas game and I mean that was absolute pandemonium for 20 minutes right it was like it wasn't one call it was
0: it was no- a series of
2: a series of things that kept happening. And, um, you know, we, you get back to your room and you listen to it after. And some days you go, oh, I didn't quite get it. And that one, we were like, oh, we got that one. Kale McCarr's first goal last year in the playoffs. We got that one. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you, you don't get it, but that one, we like that one. We just got, like, I don't even know that sometimes I'll say something and uh, Cammy, my wife will say after she'll say, why did you say that? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And so we were going through the highlight with Makar, and, um, uh, they showed his parents and, you know, the building was going off. It was so loud. And then they showed his parents and I don't know why, but I thought of him as a little kid, because his parents had just flown in for the game, you know, kind of like going to a Bantam game. Right. And, and I said, um, I don't know what that kid dreams about, but it couldn't be any better than that. And I just thought of a little boy dreaming of the NHL. And then he scored in his first shift or his first period of his first game. That's a playoff game. And mom and dad are there. And I was like, I listened to it after. I was like, wow, I, that came out pretty good. I don't even know. What, <laughs> like, I don't even know why I would have thought of it. That's and then I'm also lucky. Sorry, I'm also extremely lucky. And, and people need to always keep in mind it's like it's not one guy it's your team and you know i work with gordon miller and chris Cuthbert.
1: yeah that's pretty good i
2: mean like like damn those guys are good you know like i never ever go to a game and say oh i hope he's ready no and i hope they go to the game and never say oh i hope ray's ready like you know it's just it it's it really is a great comfort to work with those guys
0: ray ferraro joining us on the outsiders today You know, before we even start talking just a little bit about the upcoming season, you mentioned Cammie. Wow, what a gig that – that's a great gig that she got in Seattle. You know what, Bryn?
2: I don't even know where it's going (laughs) to lead. And the reason I say that is because she is in on the very ground floor of what promises to be um, a really interesting, exciting – and successful franchise they've got they've got money they've got you know solid solid ownership they have um i think the uh combination of new and old developing their organization and so cammy gets to be part of that as they um you know they start building their player pool for the expansion draft and um the the one thing that um is really interesting to her is that, you know, she's long been kind of got getting the itch uh, to do something um, in the game. Like Cammy's got so much to offer. She really does. And of course I'm proud and very biased, but she has got so much to offer um, in the way of, uh, of being part of a management team. But the time for us wasn't right. We have two boys that are 12 and nine and, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't going on the road, Uh, you know, with my job, you know, we just couldn't do that. But the time is getting right and ripe that she is super excited to get into this because a, as I said, it's the ground floor and B, I think she's going to be really good at it. Like when we discuss players, like her, her um, instincts, her, what she sees is like, it's, it, I don't always agree with it. Right. And sometimes it proves that it has proven out that she's more in tune with a certain player than I am. And it's, um, I think she's going to do a good, I think she'll do a great job and who knows where it possibly could lead.
1: Well, Ray, you know, the thing for an outsider, obviously you're proud of her and, and you're, you may not see it exactly the way it is and, That stands to reason, but I mean, I know Cammie is one of the best women's players that's ever played the game. That doesn't make you a great hockey mind, but some of the other things uh, that you see and you ask around and Cammie understands the game. And while she doesn't see it like you do all the time, she understands the game. If she's going to make her mark based on merit, I really like her chances.
2: Well, (laughs) You know, somebody said, Robin. Somebody said to me yesterday or the other day. They said, "Oh, that's a nice thing Seattle did for her." And I'm like, "Seattle didn't do anything for her. They hired her. They didn't give her a gift. Mm-hmm, right. This is a this is a six hundred million dollar price tag that the owner paid. They're not giving somebody, hey, here's a job. Do the best with it you can. They're tr- they said, here's a job. Do it. Yeah. They've been they've already been on. Not already, the season starting, but they've been on conference calls. They've been, you know, how to go through the software. They don't tell them what to look for, right? Like, they, they want their evaluations, the scouts that they've hired. They want their evaluations to start forming, a, taking this gigantic pool and making it down a little smaller. So, she's there on merit, 100%. Of course, her, um, you know, people know who the, that she is, and that probably doesn't hurt either. She's grown up in a coaching family. Um, her brother, Tony, of course, is the head coach at the university of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don, her brother, I think is an amazing coach. He is a, um, he's the assistant coach in Buffalo with Ralph Kruger right now, but Don has coached uh, coached the U S national development team for, I think five or six years. And if you go through the players that he went through and talk to them, they'll tell you, he's one of the best coaches they've ever had uh, guys like Austin Matthews, pretty good player. Uh, Clayton Keller. Uh, well, anybody that's been through that program around that age, Donnie's touched. And so Cammy's, um, Cammy's knowledge has been through years and years of just talking. What is the family business? And that's
0: hockey, hockey. Hey, listen, we we know we only have you for a few more minutes because you've got something big going on, and we'll get to that at the end. But let's quickly talk about the season coming up ahead here. Preseason, do you learn much while watching preseason, or is it for you just watching those first two weeks really closely? And who do you like? Uh, I I don't
2: get much out of the preseason from a team standpoint because the lineups are always so much in flux, and sometimes a coach is – and an organization is looking at a player in a role that he's not going to play. They want to see, you know, can I stress the young guy with a few more minutes? Can he handle it? So when I dial him back, um, you know, I'll, I'll know that he can handle that. Uh, I would say Dave Tippett's probably doing that in Edmonton with Ethan bear right now. Um, in Toronto last year, Mike Babcock was doing that with Andreas Johnson and Kasperi Kapanen. Um, you know stressing them with more minutes but then pulling them back in the season because that's not the way that it was going to run out so as far as teams not so much players yeah i'm interested in what i see uh but you know there's the start of camp there's the end of camp that those are two different gears the start of the season it kicks up to another gear we know by christmas or right after thanksgiving the u.s thanksgiving it kicks up another gear so each level things change who do i like i don't know there's we got to hand in our predictions guys. I, you know, for TSN, I call (laughs) them our, our yearly guesses.
0: Yes. (laughs)
2: Because when you, okay, so Montreal missed the playoffs last year. Um, and so you, oh yeah, they haven't made the playoffs and they missed by two points. They were four points behind Toronto in 16 of the last 18 games. Jonathan drew didn't have a point. Now, what if Druan didn't take that time to go for a nap, right? Like what if he was just, relatively productive could that have been those two points somewhere sure it could have like i guess my point is the teams that didn't make the playoffs i'm sure will look at st louis and say see they did it and we can do it well the reason st louis or st louis did it and it's never been done before there's a reason it hasn't been done before so i would say that's a little bit of fool's gold but the what i see is that the teams that are outside of the playoff bubble the first step is to get yourself into that bubble where you're fighting for spots six through 10, mm-hmm. that you're in that mix, that you're a couple of points here and a couple of points there. You could make a different case. Um, I didn't, I thought Calgary would be good last year, for example, because of the year before they were so bad and I didn't see it. I thought, man, they're better than this. And then, you know, they get a career year from Giordano. They, you know, everything kind of rolled together for them until they got thumped in the playoffs. But you can start to see a trend, I guess is my point. The come out of nowhere, that that doesn't happen very often.
1: Yeah. Ray, a couple of quick takes uh, I'd like to get from you. I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I think they have some tremendous players, and we know they spent a ton of dough this off season to keep them. I don't see the Maple Leafs as a Stanley Cup contender yet. Here in Edmonton, I think they've got the best player on the planet in Connor McDavid and a pretty good uh, second gun in Leon Draisaitl. Even with Ken Holland and Tip here, I don't see them as a playoff team this year. Uh, how do you view those two situations?
2: Well, I'll start with Toronto, and um, I don't – I find it hard to – eliminate good teams from the stanley cup conversation because the difference between a contender and not a contender is is rather small and the critiques you can make of one team probably fit to the teams that you've made a contender on like for example if freddie anderson gets hurt in toronto they're they're done like how are you going to replace that the guy's an amazing goalie well i could say the same thing in tampa if vasilevsky goes out can Curtis McElhaney really carry the load for 30 games? I'd probably trust him a lot more than I would Michael Hutchinson, but they're not the same team. Um, I look at Toronto's forwards. They're so good. I mean, they are their top two lines. Um, You know, you got Kapanen who's there instead of Zach Hyman, who's recovering from knee surgery, but you've got Kapanen, Tavares and Marner. That's a, you know, that's a pretty damn good line. There is zero chance in my mind, William Nylander struggles this year. Nylander's got a little bit of that screw you to him. Mm -hmm. And the fact that last year went so poorly for him, I see him as a 30 plus goal guy, uh, 75 points, 70 to 75 points. Um, Andreas Johnson scored 20 goals last year. That's not a fluke. So their top six is, is dialed right in. Now this is where it gets tricky for them as far as being a contender. They've got Alex Kerfoot making about 3 million bucks and then a whole bunch of guys making 700 grand because that's how you make it fit. Is their defense good enough? I don't know. I I I need to see Cody CC away from the guy that I remember that just got steamrolled in Ottawa last year. Right. But Ottawa was so bad. I mean, you know, Bobby Orr might have got steamrolled in <laughs> Ottawa last year, right? Like that's just the way it was. But I I wouldn't take them out of that contender spot for me yet. I don't know if they're at the top but I, they're in that group of six to eight teams that I think you have to consider seriously as for the Oilers. Um, I know they will be a better team because tip is a fantastic coach and that structurally they'll be a lot better so that they'll give up less. Um, they'll give up less danger. Um, and I think the miss the misconception of Dave is that he is a defensive coach only um, while that's the way he played. Um, when he was coaching in LA, his power play that he ran was the best in the league. Um, He's a, he's a thinker. I've known him for 35 years. He was playing a system when we didn't have a system. Like he knew where to be and where to go and he could tell you where to be and where to go. And I think the Oilers will benefit from that. The the obvious weakness is they're, they're just not strong enough on the wings. Can they get enough offense uh, from the guys, outside of the big boys, the big boys. I mean, you don't even have to right. really concern yourself with, but it's like around them. Is there going to be enough there? And, and I, I really think that's probably one of their two biggest questions. The other will be, um, will Mike Smith be healthy enough uh, and good enough to play like he did in the playoffs last year? Cause he was outstanding in the series against Colorado. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Koskinen guy. I mean, like
0: it's a lot I, of people I, like that right now.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean like you're, you're six foot seven and you know, uh, I don't think he uses his body well enough. He certainly can't catch the puck. And um, it's not like, it's not like guys around the league don't know this. I'll put it to you this way. I've done five or six games that Koskinen's played. Um, and uh, as a broadcaster and watched them i don't know how many times on tv and i don't remember five or seven great performances you know maybe yeah. one or two and i remember a couple of real stinkies
0: mm.
2: and you know like right the day right after they somehow gave them that three-year extension yeah that game was was i forget who they were playing but i did that game and it was it was not good.
0: Odorous is a good word to use for that.
2: Hey, listen. Yeah, and so it's got to be Mike Smith is my point. Yes. And those are the two biggest. Uh, those are The wingers and the goalies, those are the two biggest things for me.
0: We, we cannot thank you for your time enough today. This has gone way longer because we started shooting the shit and having some fun. And we really appreciate it. And now you're running in and doing what?
2: I'm going to tape uh, five hours at EA Sports today. <laughs> Uh, James Sobolski and myself are the voices of NHL 20, and um, two things. One is, for the people that play the game, um, the volume of content that we provide, so we're in there 20 hours a month, wow. uh, roughly 200 hours a year, and it's constantly to re- recharge and refill and regenerate uh, what happens in the game so you don't get bored listening to it. The second thing is when you're playing the game, please do not tweet me and tell me <laughs> that I said your goalie sucks, but that shot was deflected. Like they, the people do realize I'm not in the game, right? Like I'm, I'm in a sound booth. There's no game playing in front of me. We You record all the audio and it, the computer and the artificial intelligence match it up to the game. But I am not watching you play. <laughs>
1: Well, just in case, Ray, mix in a pal or chum in there for those. We'll so all know
2: for sure then. Yeah, I'll get I'll get a pal or chum in there. I did get uh, um, because my boys uh, are both, uh, you know, th- their sport is soccer, and so uh, somebody score. You know, the script that I'm doing uh, this particular day uh, is a, a shot goes into the top of the net, and so I just. I called it Top Bins because that's what they say in soccer. And so I got it in there for the boys.
0: Hey, thanks. Once again, it is not Dregs and Ray. It's no, Ray it's not. and Dregs is the podcast.
2: Yeah. Hey. Awesome. We're, uh, we're taping episode one on Tuesday, uh, October the 1st, which is tomorrow as we tape this. And uh, Paul Maurice will be our first guest. And we're, uh, we're looking forward to getting started. Hope you all check it out. Keep How it fun, real. Ray.
0: Keep it real. This is fantastic. Thanks for your time, Ray.
2: Awesome guys thank
1: you step and steel
2: The most ridiculous thing i've ever seen patrick stefan you should be embarrassed for what you just did that does not belong in the national hockey league and then the puck is turned over stole gets the puck up and shockingly it's ryan smith Alex hemsky makes a remarkable move and the oilers somehow are going to send this game to overtime as Alex hemsky's seventh goal of the season ties the game with two seconds left the most embarrassing thing i've seen on the national hockey league ice and i don't know i've been around the game 25 years at the pro level that is unbelievable
0: pro-am sports is edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia featuring unique collectibles and apparel we've got you and your fan cave covered pro-am sports located in edmonton at 12728 st albert trail and proamsports.ca Glenn Denning joins us on The Outsiders today. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? I'm well, Bryn. Uh, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on this uh, podcast with you and Robin. You do real estate work in the Edmonton area, but you're doing something very special here in this month of October. Tell everybody what's going to happen here.
3: Uh, Basically, I'm headed to Africa, to Kilimanjaro, to hike this uh, mountain and raise awareness and, more importantly, raise money for the mustard seed. So that's uh, that's what I'm getting started. I leave October 9th, and I'll arrive in Kilimanjaro roughly around the 12th and uh, start the hike, which will be anywhere from seven to eight days, depending on uh, a few variable conditions.
1: Now, Corey, tell me, because you're dealing with somebody and uh, me, that has the chicken gene. I've never, I've never thought of jumping out of a perfectly good plane or uh, climbing a mountain any higher than I care to fall. Um, What uh, motivates you to, uh, I mean, this is bucket list stuff for a lot of people, but what motivates you to take on something like this?
3: Um, well, Robin, I've been a pretty adventurous guy my entire life. Uh, I haven't jumped out of a plane. It is on my list. Um, but I've done lots of things like, uh, tandem paragliding, um, jumping off the side of a mountain with a parachute and I've had many trips where I've been surfing and stuff like that, but I hadn't done anything of this sort of epic proportion. And it was roughly a year ago. I was in Kelowna and I was kind of making a mental bucket list. And one of the things I'd been contemplating for a long time was doing Kilimanjaro. Um, so basically, I just I made that decision last year and it was only about three months ago when I finally booked my tickets and decided to, to do this. Uh, so, yeah, everything is great until I get there and then we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll have some second thoughts about the fifth day in when I've been hiking for eight to 10 hours a day.
0: Corey, people don't just jump on a plane and go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro without a little bit of training. So obviously you've done this kind of thing before. Can you back it up a little bit for us? Uh,
3: I've been pretty active and pretty fit my entire life, whether it's I've run half marathons way back in the day. And, you know, I stay fit by doing yoga, playing hockey, going to the gym, a uh, whole bunch of stuff, but I've obviously switched things up slightly for this. Uh, I started hiking, I started making a trip down to Canmore and Calgary, usually once every ten days for the past couple of months, and uh, trying to get my legs a little bit stronger and uh, and ready for this whole adventure. Um, so I, I I have switched things up slightly. I also started swimming because a friend of mine told me that uh, swimming is supposed to help with getting um, adapted, if you will, to the altitude. Uh, by taking a, a breath every second or third stroke instead of every stroke or whatever you do when you're swimming. So I, I started swimming again. It's been years since I did that, and that's been a humbling experience as well.
1: Well, uh, the thing is, Corey, you're not a, you're not a, a 21-year-old guy either. Aren't you uh, <laughs> uh, old enough to, to know better? <laughs> uh,
3: I, I, I appreciate you bringing that to light, Robin. Um, I am no longer 21. And so part of this whole bucket list thing is, is I did turn 50 in January and, uh, and you know, I don't know how many more years I would have in me to, to do a adventure like this. So it, it came up and it's like, okay, if we're going to start doing this stuff. we got to start knocking these things out of the park because I may not be the same physical stature or whatnot in 10 years or let alone five years. So time is of the essence.
1: Well, I tell you what, that's mighty impressive. Now, 50 was a decade ago for me, but I I consider it a victory if I walk up the stairs without getting <laughs> winded. So, um, you know, no, it really is something. I mean, this is not a little casual hike. Um, now you're also I my understanding is you're you're paying your own way to to take on this adventure?
3: Absolutely. Um, and that's something I've tried to get across in advertising to raise funds for the mustard seed is that 100% of all the donations go directly to the mustard seed and more specifically the mustard seed in Edmonton as well. Um, so yeah, I'm funding my own trip and it it is not cheap. Uh, you have to have an outfitter or trekking company take you up the mountain. You can't simply just show up and rent a tent and do it on your own. So Mm -hmm. there are some pretty big costs involved with this. um, but, that's something that I'm willing to bear in trying to get some attention drawn to the mustard seed. And like I said, more importantly, raise some funds for them as they're, uh, as you're well aware, Robin, they're, they're a great organization. They do so much for, uh, less fortunate people. And it's not just homeless people. Sometimes it's often people who are between jobs. Uh, you know, the cost of living, things like that, that is, that is very, really expensive for some people who might be, have entry-level jobs and stuff like that, and they're just trying to make ends meet. So, you know, the fact that they often feed upwards to 1,000 people at the downtown church, uh, those are 1,000 people that are getting a, a warm meal in their belly, and that may simply be enough to get them through to the next day or get them to their job interview or whatever the case may be so that they can try and break the uh, the poverty cycle.
0: It's, it's funny you should mention it like that as well because I've had the privilege of serving meals on occasion there at the church, and you meet people who come from all walks of life, and it just depends on which corner you turn in life. It, things can yep. turn on a dime. The, the, I had a chance a few years ago to talk to Laurie Sclerest, who was obviously the first Canadian to climb Mount Everest. And I, I asked him, and he climbed all the big mountains. And I said, so what made this one so special? He says, well, it's Everest. I said, what was the worst part <laughs> or the most dangerous part? He said, not the climb, the descent, he said, "Because gravity is a is a nasty, nasty little thing when you're coming down a mountain like that. Now, when you're training to go up Kilimanjaro, do you also concern yourself a little bit with coming down Kilimanjaro because it uh, it's just as dangerous coming down?"
3: Yeah, it's it's totally a different set of muscles in your legs, and you're not really using those muscles as you're going up. Um, so I know you know there's going to be fatigue factors that'll come into play with my legs and whatnot. You do hike with poles. Um, I've never actually hiked with poles, but I will be renting poles when I'm over there, and they really actually help a lot when you're descending. Um, but I think the the biggest thing and the little mantra in the back of my head is just going to be, you know, slow and steady. Uh, it's not a race to get down. Um, it's not a race to get up either, for that matter. Yeah. But um, I think slow and steady, and uh, hopefully everything should be okay as far as that goes. Now, uh,
1: Corey pardon my ignorance on this, but are you able to uh, live tweet and do social media from a place like that? Do you have internet access?
3: Uh, I don't honestly know what sort of uh, internet access I'll have on the mountain. Um, You know, so I will be doing my little social media Twitter rants and whatnot right up until the fact, whenever I lose connection, so to speak. So I know, um, uh, obviously, in, in uh, Nairobi and Kenya, before I head to Kilimanjaro, I'll have all that stuff. But once I'm up on the mountain, I don't know at what point I lose it or whatever. Um, but as soon as I have access, I'll be, especially if, knock on wood, I make it to the summit, I'll be tweeting that picture out as soon as I can.
1: <laughs> I guess so. Hey, before, before we let you go, Corey, uh, how can people uh, who want to donate, and again, you're covering your own expenses, Uh, But how can people who want to donate to the cause, uh, uh, the mustard seed, uh, do so?
3: I think the easiest way, Robin, is to go to theseed.ca. So that's T-H-E-S-E-E-D, theseed.ca. And uh, that'll take you to a donation link. Um, In that link, it will ask people why you're donating. If they put the moniker, if you will, hashtag hike for hope. Then, uh, then it allows the people at the Mustard Seed to take all that money and put it under my name, so to speak, so that they can just keep track of the total. The goal is 10000 I think I'm just past the 4000 mark, so mm-hmm. we've still got some work to do. Okay. Um, but uh, that's the goal, and that way uh, the people at the Mustard Seed can keep track of it. So once again, it's the seed.ca, and you use hashtag hikeforhope, where it asks you why you're donating. And uh, it's also um, – Tax receipts will be issued, so it is tax deductible for those people who who need that or would like that.
1: Well, I tell you, Corey, and uh, full disclosure, you know I'm involved with the Mustard Seed. I do some media relations with them. Uh, all donations are appreciated, but I think to go out there and do something like this uh, to help uh, a group – uh, like the homeless in Edmonton and those struggling with poverty. Um, I wish you all the best. I think it's tremendous what you're doing.
3: I really appreciate that, Robin. And I appreciate all the support and uh, energy you're sending my way.
0: Hey, Corey, before you go, what's your Twitter handle?
3: Uh, my Twitter handle is CVC Homes. Okay. So at CVC Homes. Um Hopefully they don't dig too far back on my Twitter feed and see some of my political rants, but uh, right now <laughs> my focus is <laughs> my focus is on Kilimanjaro and uh, raising money and awareness for the mustard seed.
0: Thanks for your time. Good luck, and we'll check in with you when you get back, okay?
3: P- please do. I'd love to come back and uh, tell you all about it. Thanks, Corey.
2: Fresh air. And fun. Experience it all this summer in a new RV from Carefree RV. Trade up to the perfect bunk model from reputable brands like Winnebago and Forest River. So many floor plans and payments starting at just $53 bi-weekly. Plus one free year of coach net
1: warranty on all RVs. Carefree RV opens seven days a week in Edmonton and Laduke. Online carefreeRV.ca. Carefree.
0: Now that went by pretty quick today, although it's a usual one hour from us. But Ray Ferraro was outstanding today, did you not think?
1: I wish he could be a little bit more honest, but aside from that, yeah.
0: <laughs> and maybe he could stretch it out just a little bit. Uh, he was great today.
1: Yeah, he was on his way into the studio, so it was great that he gave us the time. I was also uh, really happy uh, to speak with Corey Clendenning about his ascent of Mount Kilimanjaro. A, it's a bucket list thing and also uh, the reason he's doing it, uh, helping raise funds for the mustard seed here in Edmonton, uh, something that's close to my heart. So I wish him all the luck in the world and a uh, safe ascent and descent of that uh, well-known mountain.
0: be watching his Twitter account very carefully to see uh, that he gets through this endeavor in a safe manner. So that's pretty fantastic.
1: And... Before we uh, check out here, I just want to thank you Yes, uh, for reminding me that uh, Bobby Curtola has passed away, you asswipe. Okay. So <laughs> Sorry. Listen, let me just say that
0: that's a bit of my mom coming out in me because my mom, who is as Welsh as they come, for some reason, the Welsh are fascinated by death. I, I don't know what it is, but for example, my mom would say something like, I was watching a show the other day about uh, Elvis Presley. He's dead now, you know. <laughs> and then she would move on to the story. Or, I was thinking of your Aunt Edna the other day, and she's dead now, you know. She was saying everything she, she always seemed to, J.F.K. that was a fabulous movie. He's dead now, you know. Yes, I get it, Mom. Thank you.
1: I, I'm a kind of uncomfortable with how well you speak as a woman.
0: Well, uh, and that's really not a Welsh accent, which is a little sing-songy. Uh, but uh,
1: I just it just was for the full effect.
0: Hey, look, What am I, I'm not wearing a dress. I just want to make that perfectly clear.
1: Not that there's anything wrong with that. There we go. Thanks for your
0: time today. Looking forward to the next one. Once again, you can send us any of the feedback that you want, even on the bad impression of my mom. You can uh, drop us a note at mightymouth at shaw.ca. That's our email address, so that's mightymouth at shaw.ca, and we're working on a website, so hang tight for that as well. That is it. That is another edition of The Outsiders. Robin, we'll talk to you next week, okay? He sure will.
3: proceeding was recorded earlier because
0: we were ashamed to do it now.